Don't call it a comb back. I'll have hair for years. Wake up in the morning feeling like P. Diddy. Hey, what up, Grab girl? my glasses. I'm out the door. I'm gonna hit this city. Let's Before go. I leave, brush my teeth with a bottle of Jack. Cause when I leave for the night, I ain't coming back. I'm talking. Live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. He does have a tricky body. Oh, he does. Okay. He doesn't look like, okay, look at this. But that guy's walking down the street. You have no idea who he is. I don't know if you're saying, yeah, he's the best quarterback in the world. This is the Press Box. So we, our I mean, tricky body list is James Harden and Patrick Mahomes. And yeah. now Patrick Mahomes runs kind of fun. With Graney and Bischoff. Yeah. Oh, and uh, Travell Beck. Travell Beck's body is not tricky. We know exactly what Travell Beck's body is. It is not tricky in any way. Not at all. That is a complete lie. Stop trying to put Travell Beck in that category. On ESPN Las Vegas. Ah, we got tricky bodies all over the place here at Lotus. As the man told the ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM, it's Ed Graney, Jared Justice. Tyler's out for the day, but we're going to get a lot done. A lot of good guests coming up, but oh, is the exit interviews for VGK. The first bite. Does Pete DeBoer want Flurry or Leonard traded? I don't know if he wants them. I think he expects to lose one of them. Uh, so exit interviews over the weekend. They gave the guys uh, a day, as you suspect, to fly back and decompress before they met the media. What happens is at the end of each season, you get the coach, you get a ton of players uh, to talk about what happened at the end of the season. We know what happened uh, eliminated from Montreal in six games. So Pete DeBoer on uh, the day we spoke to him was very, very good at saying a few things but not saying them. Like, you know, you could just read between the lines where later in the day you got Kelly McCrimmon who really said nothing to give you any kind of in, inference as to what they might be doing in the offseason with certain players in certain positions. But Pete DeBoer said a few things. They're like, okay, we kind of know what he's saying. And the big question was, obviously, what are you going to do with the two goalies? $12 million against the cap with Flurry and Leonard this year. And the, you know, the assumption is you can't do that again. You cannot spend $12 million in goalies when you need center depth and you need other places, as we've seen the last two years, with goal scores and not being able to score in the playoffs. You just can't. I think, the uh, again, the assumption is you can't do this with two goalies. Leonard, uh, obviously, is locked in for four more years at five a year. And then Flurry, as we know, has one year left on his deal at $7 million. Uh, We'll get to Pete DeBoer right now. Let's. This was Pete DeBoer asked... Uh, I believe by David Shane of the Review Journal on what he thinks might happen with the goalies. You know, the, the, the salary cap and the, that maneuvering is is uh, above my pay grade. That that's for Kelly and George to figure out. I, I can tell you, it was it was uh, obviously an, an integral part of our success this year in the unique year we were in with the condensed schedule and the number of games. You know everything that went on. Uh, it was it was obviously a blessing this year. Um, you know next year is a different story. Uh, we're we're not in those unique circumstances anymore. Okay, so next year's a different story. We're not in unique circumstances anymore. He assumes one of the goalies is gone, right? I mean, absolutely, that was obvious. It, he assumes one of them's gone, and I. I I, ha- I have to assume even you have four years left on Leonard's yeah. deal. I have to assume that they're looking for a partner that they can go sign. Like I I don't even know if you can do a sign and trade in the NHL, but that's you got one year left with Flurry. Send him somewhere where they're like you're going to be the name on the poster. You're going to be the 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 person on the ticket every single time that we go out there. Send him somewhere that he can play and. 
he's going to play yeah. as much as he wants to play. Uh, I, th- it, it, I think you're right. I think, obviously, when you go into these things, Flurry would be the obvious one. The interesting part would be n- not really intriguing because of his age. If he was 28, this would be a big, bigger difference. By the way, if he was 28, they wouldn't be moving him. But he's going to be 36, 37. He very, mel- very well may this week win the Vesna. Uh, I'll go back and tell you how many Vesna winners were traded in the following year. Now, this is a unique situation. Like we said, his age, number one, that's the number one thing. He's mid-30s right now. So it's great for him that he had the you know the best year of his career. And here's the other thing about that is, obviously having the best year of his career upped his trade value. They tried to move him last season. There's no way they were going to move him at $14 million left as bad as a year as he was coming off of. So there were no takers. We don't believe there are any takers. Or if there were takers, they also said, hey, we'll take them. But you're also throwing in player A, B, and C, Cody Glass, which at this point, uh, maybe you look back and say you should have. But at that point, Cody Glass was probably in discussions. We're not giving up him. The VGK probably said so. This year now, though, he comes back and he has the best year of his career. He's easier to move, even at $7 million. We talked about this last week. Now, Maybe you have to retain a million or two, and you can move him. They'll pick up five because he's 36, 37, and the odds are he's not going to be good this good again. I mean, he just had the best year of his career. He's probably, let's be honest, not going to go to as skilled or as good a team. So he's not going to probably be as good. Uh, so maybe the team, let's say, I don't know, let's say it's Edmonton. That team keeps to popping up in the flurry kind of trade discussions of, like, what does Edmonton need to make the next step? If I'm Edmonton, I'm like, well, we really want him. We don't want him at seven. So we're going to take him. But you're going to take two back. We'll take five. And you still have five million open for the cap and for the Golden Knights to pursue, whether it be center depth, whether it be other positions they need to actually score goals once they get to the semifinals of the NHL playoffs. Uh, but I think, again, listening to Pete DeBoer there, now, later in the day, Kelly McCrimmon didn't go that far. And, you know, we love both of them. And you never know. We could keep both of them and all that. Uh, but if you read between the lines of Pete DeBoer, he absolutely doesn't think both are coming back. I This this could be just pie-in-the-sky thinking. But if you're GMGM right now, call the Kraken and go. Well, we will, we will You will, day one, have a face of your franchise in flurry. All you got to do is take glass and, all, and 100% of his... Like you have to take a hundred percent of Flurry's contract, and you have to take Glass. And to me, that's a that's a win win. Yeah, and throw us throw us a second or a first round pick. I mean, if there's yeah, if you're the Kraken and you need a face of the franchise, like Flurry was here, and you could convince them that hey, take him, and you, you've got your goalie next year, and you've got this incredible guy who's great with the community, and everyone loves him. The thing about it is the, the Golden Knights don't have to leave anyone unprotected. So that's another thing. And we reason 150 this league doesn't like the Golden Knights because it appears that, you know, in the perception of the league. that They got know, in first. Yeah, they got in first. So, you know, they, they, they get everything they want. Um, but that doesn't mean, obviously, they can't make deals with the Kraken. That doesn't mean they can't call the Kraken up and Ron Francis from Seattle and saying, well, what do you want? What do you think? We, we want to move some things around here. So. That might happen. I'm not sure. I don't know if the Kraken would, as a first year team, would take on seven million of a goalie. Maybe they would. Maybe they wouldn't. Again, maybe it's a situation where we're like, take on five, you keep two, and we're gonna, you know, we'll go forward. I just, again, at the end of the day, you have a 28, 29 year old goalie who you think is very good, who makes five million a year over a goalie in his mid 30s, who yes might win the Vez and had a great year, who makes seven million, and I just think he has to be the one you move on from now. There are going to be people out there screaming because here's the face of the franchise. Nobody's been more beloved than him. I, well, you and I have talked about this. I mean, 
you can count on one hand, you know, the, the, to me, the truly great athletes in the history of the city that are actually the state that has been beloved. I mean, truly, truly beloved. He's on your hand. I, I don't know yeah. where he is, but he's on the hand. I don't know if he's the thumb or the one or the two. I don't know where he is. But this guy, I mean, again, they talk about statues in front of T-Mobile. You know, I mean, I, I'd always say, you know, put something up a Foley because that guy actually came here and used a lot of his own money and didn't, you know, didn't whine or cry, you know, a bunch of public money like others. So, but when you talk about players, there's, this is a, he will have a legitimate, legitimate reasoning, whether it's a statue or plaque or whatever, to have some kind of presence in front of that arena, whether he goes this year or whether he's able to stay and finish out his career. He's meant that much to this franchise in just four years. I mean, I I almost related to Shaquille O'Neal, where he's got a statue, yeah. and he went and played for the Heat. He went yeah. and played for oh, yeah. he was it the Suns and the Cavaliers too. Like he he once he left the Lakers, he went and played he other played, places. Won a ring, yeah. But his statue is with the Lakers. Yeah. No, that's 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 flurry. That's how much he means. We talked to him the other day, and uh, I asked him, you know, I. Preface it with you, the face of the franchise, all that. Can you see your place, yourself playing anywhere else in your career? And he said, no, he wants to stay. Obviously, that's what he was going to stay. Uh, and I think a lot of fans would love him to stay. But if you watch this team the last two years, when it came to crunch time in the semifinals, you saw what you saw. And they went in these scoring droughts. And look, maybe next year there's no scoring drought and they win the cup and Stone doesn't go six games with zero points. And, you know, Patch Ready scores more. And, you know, uh, whoever the top line center is, whether it's Stevenson or someone they get in the offseason, and they win it and everyone's happy. But I don't think you can go into the offseason expecting or just assuming that. You have to, you go into every offseason looking at your team saying, how can we improve the team? This is what happened. This is where we got. This is why we lost. So now I have to improve it. And Stone said that today, you got to look back at everything. What happened? What happened? Now, again, we've said this about Mark Stone on the show. We'll say it anytime his name comes up. He's a captain in the sense that he falls on the sword. He's as good a captain as there is. As he takes the blame. He said the other day, I was over. That can't happen. I'm the captain of this team. That guy is a stand-up guy in that room, which is what you want from your captain. The last thing you want from your captain is talking about other people or blaming other people. Um, I just saw a story, you know, I mean, Again, this is off the topic, but Joel Embiid, you know, after the, the Sixers are um, eliminated, the first thing he says is he's taking shots at Ben Simmons. That's not what you want from your best player. So Mark Stone has all the respect in the world, I think, in that room of like, no, the first thing he says is that's on me. But he's right in a sense is they have to look back at everything that happened. And you can't look back at everything that happened, I think, and come to the ter- determination is the team's going to get better by holding on to two goalies who make $12 million combined. Like, I don't know in any room how that could make any kind of sense. And Pete DeBoer, again, when he says next year's a new year, we don't have the condensed schedule, it won't be like this, what do you think he's saying? He's not. He's probably saying that he loves both goalies as guys, but he's probably saying, I got. you need to go get me this and this. You know, I, I, we'll deal with Leonard and whether it's Logan, you know, Thompson, whatever, you know, you can get a backup. But I don't think Pete DeBoer in his mind's like, this makes sense to have two goalies making $12 million a year where you can't score goals in the playoffs. And even if the goalies play out of their mind, you guys can't score. No, like it's, thing. It, it doesn't. Does... It doesn't matter. I mean, Leonard's look. If they could score in the semifinals this year, I thought Leonard's probably good enough to get you through. Was I mean, it Ben Goats has said if they score once on a power, on a power play, play, yeah, once, yeah, they probably they yeah. they probably eliminate yeah. this team. But instead, they did. Here we are. 
So we'll get back. We'll get back to them in nine o'clock hour. But and I do want to get into uh, Alec Martinez. Um, he played with a broken foot. Okay, that was so <laughs> bizarre. Because well, here's the other thing. Just, I mean, this that's league literally just such a hockey yeah, thing. This like, league with injuries, yeah, playing with a broken foot. Yeah, it's just this league with injuries. I'm what? sorry, it's just it, it's absolutely laughable to where you kind of know he's hurt because he never showed up to morning skates, right? But it was mostly I think what mostly is people thought is okay. He blocks like a hundred thousand shots a night, so he you know he's hurt and he's you know why would you go to morning skate if you're Using this guy? His face as yeah, exactly. I mean, what does he need to do at morning skates? Put him in an ice bath and let the guy rest. Like, well, what's a morning skate to that guy, right? At no point, there's no chance anyone thought, you know what? Maybe he has a broken foot. <laughs> like maybe, <laughs> a- maybe this guy's skating at an <laughs> NHL high level. With a broken foot, and that's why, yes, that's why he's not at morning skate. So he says this in his exit interview to the media the day, he goes, eh, it was a broken foot. And everyone's like, I guarantee, like, we're on a Zoom, obviously, you can't see anyone else. I would have loved to see everyone's face at that. It's like, what did you just say? Like, what, did you just say he had a broken foot? Um, He's obviously a UFA. A lot of people don't think he made $4 this year. He was a really, really good player for him, really, really good defenseman. Obviously, well, this just in, he's a tough guy. But uh, $4 million a year, and I, he's going to be interesting because that kind of news that comes out and also leading the league in blocks, I would think puts him in a better position financially to make more than $4 million. So now if you're the Knights, here we go back to have cap problems. What are you going to do with the goalies? What do we do with this guy? Um, Elliot Friedman did a report earlier this month. They're unlikely to sign him because he's probably priced himself out. Now, the one thing nobody's talking about. Now, look, if I'm Alec Martinez, I have two rings. I'm on the north end of my career. This is just me personally talking. I get as much as I can, right? Like, I'm telling my agent, look, I've got the two rings. I scored the game-winning goal in the Stanley Cup finals. Uh, I'm fine. My legacy is is uh, solid Let's go get as much money as possible because this is the last contract, right? Essentially. Yeah. It was essentially for Alc Martinez. He's looking at one more contract. If I'm that guy, I've got the titles. Now, he obviously loves Vegas. You saw the other night after they lost, you could tell if you read between the lines. Yet again, we're doing a lot of reading between the lines because that's what you have to do with hockey players and coaches. I don't know if he thought right after that game he was coming back. If you watched him after that game, he gave the sense that he was done, uh, But which also gives you the sense that he really loves it here. Now, would Alec Martinez... Take a cut rate? Would he take less? I I mean, if I'm him, I don't because I, I can let you must be really happy because this is the last contract. And if I put myself in position with the year I just had to make more money, I'm probably trying to make more money. He, he He's the weird one to me because if I had to, like, there's a bunch of guys on this team that if I had to pick him or them, like Ryan Reeves, I'm taking Alec Martinez. Oh, like, every, oh it is yeah, sucky. But, but there's, yeah. uh, there's a ton of guys on this team that are making, like, low end contracts that if they just weren't there, you could just you could just resign him and it would be fine. You traded for him. You want him. But because you were loyal to some dudes early on, you've put yourself in this situation. Well because you signed Alec Pet- Petrangelo who was great in the playoffs, you you put yourself in some cap situations the entire year that uh again We'll go back to Cody Glass at the 9 o'clock hour, what's going to happen to him. But you put yourself in positions, whether you couldn't play guys, you couldn't bring guys up, you were cat, you know, you were skating with 
uh, you know, your down skaters in the most important game of the year against Colorado because of cap issues. I mean, they got themselves into some cap trouble. Again, I don't know in the long run what this means with Alc Martinez because, like you said, one move might beget two others. We don't know. I mean, you might say, yeah, we, we right now they might be behind closed doors saying we're keeping him. Now, what do we have to do A, B, and C to do that? Or they might be behind closed doors and said he's priced, he's priced himself out. He had too good a year. Now that it's out that he had a broken foot and he's playing, if I'm another team, like I kind of might want that guy because obviously or it also could work in their favor. He's in his mid-30s and he's got a broken foot. Like, well, you could just be like, well, I mean, yeah, obviously he played the postseason. Apparently all hockey players do. And let me ask you this real quick because Tyler put this in the rundown. I, I think this is a good question. Did he make himself less valuable in free agency? That's that's what I'm wondering yeah. because it's By playing of, with the broken foot. I mean. I, I don't know where ho- you come in your mind so to that, weird, though. weird, though, because. I, th- I think the, 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 the stupid cliches about hockey and the toughness. I don't know how you made yourself less valuable. Are you telling teams you're going to risk the team being successful because you have a broken foot? Or is it the reverse psychology part of no, no, we want that tough guy? Because if that guy's playing with a broken foot, what does that tell you about his loyalty? As soon as he walks into the locker room, everyone's going to go, yeah, that's the dude. He that's scored the, follow that guy. He scored the goal. And then he played an entire postseason yeah, with, with a, a broken, broken foot. foot, where all he did, all he did that entire time was score more goals and get pucks thrown into his face. I assume the the tenor of that, in terms of less valuable, would be how could you do? You know, why would you do that? Why would you go on the ice with a broken foot if you're in the playoffs and help your team? But and you know, again, we can get into all the bizarreness of how they probably got him on the ice. I mean, you know, the trainers do a great job, but if you have a broken foot, they're they're doing things on a nightly basis to get you on the ice uh, to play through that and skate at that level. The thing I was – and it was funny because I told my wife this yesterday. It, the one thing about – you know, you're blocking shots. I get that. You, you know, grit it up. You're prob- you're pro- they've probably numbed it up. They've done everything they can to, like, make it less painful. To me, the crazy part is skating at that level with a broken yeah. foot. Now, we don't know if it's a hairline fracture. He just said a broken foot. That could mean a lot of things in terms of whatever. But at some point, there was a fracture. But – to me, and I think you agree, it's not blocking the chest. Like, how were you skating at that level? At the stopping, the starting, the cutting, the, the 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 you know, in terms of the acceleration, how were you doing that with your broken foot? We really need to go to break because we're over. But I will say, Axel Rose from Guns and Roses <laughs> one time broke his ankle dancing. Yes, and had to do an entire concert sitting in a chair because he broke his ankle. Meanwhile, Alec Martinez is like. That's fine. I got to go skate. He's skating at an NHL level. All right. When we come back, we'll get into some NBA, working our way towards 730. It's Sam Gordon. Big win for the Aces. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. What I saw today was unbelievable. It was freaking unbelievable. Carried the team at the end. You know, being able to, like, he turned the ball over, like, two times. And after that, he was, like, locked in. He was, like, pass me the ball. And um, we were giving the ball, you know. And uh, I've talked in the past that there's moments that, you know, we know when to set screens for him. We know when he wants the ball. And that was the moment. We were, like, get the hell out of the way, give him the ball, take us home, Chris. And uh, that's what he did. Connaughton baseline out to Tucker. Middleton for four threes in a row. Why not? Chris Middleton hits again. What an explosion by Middleton. Middleton against Gallinari. Going to work again. Lifting. Shooting. Got it! Why not? Middleton makes it a 10-point game. 
112-102. He has 38. We're back to the Press Box Morning Show with Ed Graney and Tyler Bischoff. Hey, it's Ed and Jared. Tyler's off today. Sam Gordon at 730 on the Aces. Oh, Chelsea Gray calling her shot. Going to hear about that at 730. All right. You heard it come back, Giannis and others talking about Chris Middleton. Man. Okay, I know because he plays with Giannis, he's a secondary option. He's really not a secondary option. Like, in a game yesterday, he's he is the option. Uh, and Giannis is great. We understand that. Two-time MVP. But Chris Middleton is a terrific basketball player. And in games like that, you really realize how good this guy is now. He's been in the league nine years, uh, drafted uh, by Detroit out of Texas A&M. Actually played... Here's a guy, again, actually had to play a year in the G League uh, because he just wasn't doing anything with Detroit. And then Milwaukee gets him, and 38 yesterday, um, uh, just big shot after big shot. They go in the 22-5 run. It's all because of him. He shoots 8 of 13 in the fourth quarter. Think about that. In the fourth quarter on the road, he shoots 8 of 13 with four threes. He was amazing. I mean, I, I, I'm sitting at home with my son looking, and we loved it. I was telling you, we love to do this thing about how much does a guy make, like, he fell off the chair when I told him Bogdanovich makes $19 million a year because he was very upset at that. <laughs> but Chris Middleton's like in a 20 range, and you're like, you might not think that, and then you like see a game like that, and how much these guys get paid in the NBA. You're like, yeah, I kind of get that. And it, it's it's for once. It's so weird to like be a Bucks fan and to actually see them like play competently. Um, you're of, probably going to win it all. Well, I don't know. The Suns, the Suns still scare me. Uh, mostly just because it's going to turn into a, it's going to turn into a shootout, and then Giannis will just be like, "I can dunk." Yes, he can finish. A- any anyone? Okay, uh, no, nope, we're just shooting threes. Middleton against uh, Booker for yeah. like seven games, and that'll that to me will that that's a that's a scary thing. But he he's one of those guys that you're like, oh yeah. He's, he's pretty good. That guy's a terrific player. And again, he's a secondary option because you know who the first option is. But as Giannis said, you know, in the clip, I mean, why wouldn't you pass him? Like Giannis is a pretty smart player and he sees where a guy's heating up like that. It's like, okay, we're just going to feed that guy. And, you know, for a superstar and two-time MVP to say that, you kind of know how good the other guy is. I enjoyed, and I couldn't find the clip of it, but somebody asked him basically like, Hey, you didn't take a lot of shots in the fourth quarter, and Giannis basically went, "Why the hell would I?" Yeah, why would he? I can. Sc- I scored in the first three. He's he's doing great. I'm just gonna keep giving it to him. I felt bad. Trey Young steps on the official's foot uh, by accident. He goes out with the ankle. Had 32 sh- uh, shot 11 of 19, but he came back. He wasn't the same. One of four down the stretch. Um, one of three from three point range. So. Look, I mean, they—it's funny because it's just—it changes so quickly. So they win the opener. You're like, all right, they already got the split. They get the split. They come home. They're up seven or eight, I think, with seven minutes left. You're like, man, they're going up two one now. You start thinking like, this team—they could go to the NBA Finals. And then boom, he goes out, and Middleton goes nuts, and all of a sudden, Milwaukee has home court back. I don't know how much that really means. Is it, in basketball, you just don't know in in terms of the home court, but. If he's at all hobbled at all going forward, I don't know how bad the ankle is, then this might be over fairly quickly. We need to get to Sam Gordon, but I just wanted to ask you this real quick. Did you see that the uh, the, the the Atlanta fans started counting whatever? Oh, it was beautiful. Yeah. They got to 13 and 14. 
Yeah, but at the same I, time, it's not like it. I, I doubt it's someone in the crowd was like, I have the official well, stopwatch. We are going to count this correctly. I thought Adam Hill had a good tweet. He goes, but wait a minute. Is anyone count? Is anyone counting their counting? As if like they're counting really fast right now. So if you had to actually watch on it, they might be at 13, but your watch is at nine. Yeah, I'm like it was. It was like one, two, three, four, five. Like they're just trying to get past ten to make a it, point. Yeah, it's it's when your dad goes, yeah, uh, on the golf course. Yeah, put me down for a six, and yes, like behind exactly. his back, you put up ten figures. Yes, exactly. Like, all right, dad, you five putted. <laughs> you can't be at six. All right, when we come back, Review Journal sports writer Sam Gordon on the huge win by your ace. Aces bucket. Here we go. Twenty-one point four inbound to Gray. She's got it. Guarded by Samuelson. 15 seconds to go. Pick at the top of the key for Asia Wilson. Gray, crossover dribble, gonna step into a jumper. Chelsea Gray's done it again! She hit the J, inside, outside, it doesn't matter. Everybody on your feet! There's a party going on here! Chelsea Gray didn't need anybody else. Who hit that shot? ESPN 1100, 100.9 FM, it's Ed and Jared today. Please be joined now, though. Follow him on Twitter at by Sam Gordon, terrific sports writer for the Review Journal. All right. So before we get to that and the Chelsea Gray shot, I want to ask you something because uh, Seattle is kind of the nemesis of everyone. They won the title last year. I think they split with the Aces to start the year. I know it's midseason or where the season is at, and I know there's a lot to play, and obviously the playoffs and all that. How big of a win was this for the Aces psychologically? Like, to take the season series and to be in the own mindset that if this happens again and they meet them again when it matters most, that they can look back and say, look, we beat them two out of three. This is a different year. Yeah, I think I think that definitely matters. I think that's definitely a huge thing. Now, now players and coaches, you know, acknowledged there was a significant win but kind of, you know, tried to downplay that angle. Um, after the game, but but regardless of what they said, anytime you can beat the defending champions, you know they they play well. Brianna Stewart um, played her A game; she was awesome. You know, with 35 points and 11 rebounds, and um, the Aces. I don't think they necessarily played a perfect game, but they found a way to win. And this is two days, you know, coming two days after playing an overtime game in Minnesota, where Asia Wilson played 43 minutes. You travel, uh, you know, everybody was tired. It was an early start, so yeah, I think the fact that they that they were able to take, um, you know, play play. Go down to the wire, execute, you know, battle through some adversity against the defending champions, and like you said, take two out of three from them. I think it's huge, and I think uh, you know, at this juncture of the season is almost almost the halfway point. Um, it, it, it it took some time, but I think the Aces are really starting to carve out their identity and figure out who they are as a team, who they can go to, who their best five is, who their crunch time lineups are. Um, so they, all those things came into play um, yesterday against Seattle. I think that definitely bodes well uh, if these two teams were to meet again in the postseason. Bill Lambeer said yesterday as they come to the All-Star break, you quoted him saying, uh, we're really going to know, have a good handle on where we're at, and then we'll make some minor adjustments. So where are they at? I mean, is this as good as you thought they'd be? How much of a ceiling do they have yet to reach? I still think they have another gear to get to, right? Uh, now, they, they, I think there's an understanding of who they can go to down the stretch. Um, Asia Wilson obviously has proven herself to be a, a big-time closer. They can go to, go to her to get a bucket. Uh, we saw what Chelsea Gray did yesterday. I think Kelsey Plum um, has really emerged and come into her own this year. Uh, she's really reliable now off the bench, giving you double figures, uh, making plays down the stretch, uh, understanding uh, when to when to get others involved, when to look for her shot, when to when to push the tempo. So um, there, there's definitely they're definitely starting to find a flow. I still think 
um, there are situations in which they can establish Liz Cambage a little bit more. Now she's been battling an illness, and uh, that was part of the reason uh, that she played kind of stretches, you know, in spurts yesterday. But there's still a way that I think the offense can flow a little bit better and the ball can move a little bit crisper. Uh, at times, it's still a little clunky. It's still a little disjointed. And when teams um, choose to, to, to force the aces to, to make jumpers and, and, you know, clog up the paint a little bit, um, things can get congested and clunky. So if, I think in time they're going to figure out how to navigate, you know, those kind of situations and, and play against those type of defenses. But, but right now, with the, with the offensive firepower that they have, with the talent they have, you know, they, sit, you know, they, they know who their top seven are. Everybody kind of knows their role or is figuring out what their role is. Uh, I, I would say they're probably about 75% or 80% of, of how good I think they can be. And uh, that, that 80% was good enough to beat the Storm yesterday in a primetime game when Brianna Stewart was out of her mind. So uh, definitely um, expect them to, to be – uh, and, you know, this isn't a crazy statement or anything, but definitely expect them to be in the mix for the championship and, and to be, um, you know, the the favorite when, when, when the playoffs start, when, when things, when push comes to shove. Now, when you sign Gray, uh, the hope is that these she'll have these kind of moments. You can't predict that, obviously. You, can, you don't know what's going to happen game to game. But Chelsea Gray called the shot, and she wanted the ball, and she wanted a certain pick and roll, and she comes through. So talk about that play yesterday in overtime, what you heard after about it, and I assume this is why they this is why they signed her. Was she the missing piece last year? Yeah, I believe so. I think she definitely was the missing piece. And you know, again, Asia Wilson is a is a tremendous has burst into a, as a tremendous closer. Somebody can go to down a stretch over and over and over again. But there's a different element to Chelsea Gray because she's a perimeter player. She's a point guard. The ball is in her hands. Um, she she can create her own shot from the perimeter, and and she's been there and done that big game. She's a champion. Uh, she has championship experience. She played with the Los Angeles Sparks, some of those great Sparks teams, in some really, really, really big games. And uh, there's just a savvy um, that she has. There's just kind of a, a comfort, I think, that she brings uh, in, in these kind of moments. And, and Bill Ambeer said yesterday he was waiting for her to take over a game uh, in this fashion, and that's what she did. It wasn't just a shot at the end of the game. It was The, the Aces were down by seven early in the fourth quarter, and, and, and all of a sudden, Every single play, uh, every trip down the floor, she's making a play, whether she's scoring on her own or creating for, for her teammates. And she's, there's just a calm, you can't speed her up. She plays at her pace. And, um, and it was, it, it, I, you knew it was going to take the Aces some time to kind of figure out how to utilize her and for her to figure out how and when to pick her spots. And we've seen flashes that throughout the course of the season. But she's really earned the trust of Lambeer. And, uh, and, like, you know, he deferred to her at the end of the game. They're down one. Uh, he asked her to run the huddle and, and to call play, and she, you know, she wanted to make pick and roll. He drew up um, the specific kind of, of play that involved Kelsey Plum setting a screen for Asia Wilson to free her up a little bit. Brianna Stewart was caught in kind of a no man's land, had to switch, and that allowed Gray to. She knew exactly what she wanted to do, where she wanted to go. You know, set her up with that crossover and buried the shot. So uh, there's just a she's just so comfortable in these kinds of moments. That's not to say that the other players on the team aren't as well or aren't becoming comfortable in crunch time, but there's a been there, done that, just a, a veteran know-how that she has. and uh, You really get the sense that everybody else is more comfortable on the floor when she's playing like that and when she's in a rhythm. And uh, and I would expect that to only continue now that she's she's done it on this stage. You know, national televised game against the defending champs, uh, they, they kind of know their options now down the stretch. They can go to Wilson, they can go to Gray, and those two can take them home. Sam, it seems like this year there's almost a speed unit that Lambeer brings off the bench. Is that something that you're seeing him embrace, or is that just me watching the game and going, man, that group looks way faster than this group? No, you're spot on. You're spot on. And, and that's something that, that he's talked about with, with Kelsey Plum and Derek Hamby, specific, specifically Plum, 
um, being that she, you know, handles the ball a lot with the second unit. And, and if she's playing with Chelsea Gray, Chelsea Gray can move off the ball. Uh, if she's playing without Chelsea Gray, she gets a chance to handle um, and be that primary ball handler you know, or decision maker. And there's just an energy um, that there's just a pace that she plays with that I think makes the Aces dangerous. And you know, the, the, their start their starting group, of course, they always want to play fast, uh, but you know they want to play through their bigs and post up and get post touches down low early in the shot clock and try and get to the free throw line and things like that. Usually that speed lineup, like you talk about, involves downsizing, um, you know, uh, replacing Liz Cambage with the Erica Hamby, who is a tremendous transition player. With her and Kelsey Plum out there, they often change the complexion of games, you know, midway through the first quarter, early in the second quarter, depending on what the Aces need. They've provided a spark all year, and uh, and it's huge. It's huge, right? They, that, I think that's one of the things that makes the Aces so dangerous is they can play different styles, right? They can, they can get up and down. They can run and gun uh, and beat you in transition. They can play through the posts, and they have two, you know, the best, you know, arguably the best two bigs, best two low-post players in the league. And, and then and then when push comes to shove, now with Chelsea Gray, you have this pick-and-roll maestro uh, that can slow things down and make plays from the perimeter. So uh, that, that speed unit is definitely a thing, but it's, it's just one of the looks that they can present uh, throughout the course of a game. Uh, talk to us about Bill Lambeer. We've seen him here as the coach. Uh, as he's gotten uh, Chelsea Gray and more and more uh, these players become vets that were rookies, how do, how has Bill Lambeer, if at all, changed as a coach? Is there more trust because he now has Chelsea Gray, or is he still the same Lambeer that kind of uh, coaches the entire game and kind of in charge, or is there more trust on the court, you think? Yeah, I think there's definitely more trust, right? I think early on, um, you know, this was a really young group in 2018, right? A lot of players that were, you know, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24. And that's not the case anymore. You know, pretty much everybody, um, you know, Jackie Young and Asia Wilson, obviously 23 and 24 respectively, but they're not your typical young players. They've played in a lot of big games now in our season. They've been to the finals. You bring in a number of vets. I think Chelsea Gray's in her prime. Liz Cambage in her prime, Dierica Hamby in her prime, Quanah Williams in her prime, Kelsey Plum Plum at 26 entering her prime. So this is a, a veteran unit, and I think you know, like you said, you touched on it with, with having Gray out there, who are, has there's not a situation in basketball that she hasn't been in. Uh, there's he, he lets them figure it out, and he's you know he's always kind of been the type where you know he'll let them play through some mistakes, um, but this year I think that's even more so the case, right? And that's. You know, that's indicative of, of his trust in this veteran group and his understanding that, hey, in order for this group to achieve what it wants to, they're going to have to get through some adversity and figure some things out on their own. And, and they have the right, you know, the right combination of veteran players and, and leadership um, now to, to do that. And, uh, and you're seeing, you know, it's really, it's, you've seen this group mature over the last, you know, three to four years. And it's been a cool thing to see, you know, going from a young team and an experienced team, a team that's rather green to now a, a team that is, you know, you don't want to bet against in crunch time because they have so many different options. Chelsea Gray an MVP? Uh, you know, it, you or is it just yeah, is I it think, just obvious? Brianna Stewart's the best player. <laughs> I think I think I think she's an MVP in the sense that you know how Chris Paul is for the Suns this year, right? Where where he he didn't necessarily win the award, but you you understand the value that he has on that team, and and you've seen it play out in the course of these playoffs. I think Chelsea Gray is the same way, right? Like she's not going to win. The numbers don't jump out. They don't, you know, they don't. They're not ridiculous. But when you watch them play, especially a game like, like yesterday, you understand how the type of effect that she has, um, not just on a game, but on every possession, every every meaningful possession, and, and how again, how everybody else is more comfortable while she's out here. But that's, you know, that's the that's the beauty of, of what the Aces have going on right now, right? Is there's so many different players that that, that can beat you, and Liz Cambage is all the time. You know, to quote her, she says, you know, they're a team full of superstars, and they are. 
and Chelsea Gray is just one of them. She might be the MVP yesterday, but Asa Wilson, you know, every game is, is, is good for 20 and 10. Liz Cambage had an 18-point, 20-rebound game the other day. So there's so many different options that this team has, and, and what having Chelsea Gray does is she just brings the, a little bit more of the best out of each and every one of them when she's sharing the floor with them. I want to get one question in on the NBA for you because you cover that for the paper as well. Uh, this is interesting. The 2018 draft, you know well that Luka went third and Trey Young went fifth, but DeAndre Ayton went one, and it's taken yeah. a while for him to obviously emerge as, I mean, Luka right now might be the guy that everyone starts a franchise with, and we're seeing what Trey Young's become. Uh, but DeAndre Ayton is playing really, really well in these playoffs. Kind of take us back to that draft, and it, it, I think these things are unfair in a sense because two or three years later, you're like, all right, well, look at Luca and all that. But when DeAndre Ayton went one, and now where you see him, is he? I'm not going to say he's justifying ahead of Luca or Trey Young, but he's certainly making that pick a little more sensible. Yeah, he's certainly yeah, 100. percent And I think um, you know, in 2018, kind of what the Suns were dealing with. I mean, they had a star, an emerging star on the wing, a perimeter player, you know, guy that can handle the ball in, in Devin Booker. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, the thought was you can you can balance that out with DeAndre Ayton. You have the great wing, the great big, uh, and we've seen those combinations be really successful in the past. Obviously, Kobe Shaq, um, and, and most recently LeBron Anthony Davis, right last year. So I, I think there there that was kind of the thought process. And yeah, you know, in hindsight, you know, Luke is obviously the best the best player of that group, and Trey Young's really good too. But for what Phoenix does and the way that they want to play, I mean, he's there's not a better fit probably in the league. I mean, he uh, he's so graceful and fluid at seven feet. He runs the floor so smooth. He's totally embraced this role where uh, it's about rim running. It's about finishing at the basket, playing defense, uh, catching and finishing pick and roll plays. And and occasionally you can throw the ball, you can dump it to him and and he'll make something happen in the low post. So I think the way he's matured, he, I mean, in this series that he's been the best player, in my opinion, he's been Mm -hmm. the best player. Phoenix is best player in this series. And uh, that really came to, came to fruition uh, on Saturday with the, with the rebounding, the way he was punishing those small lineups. So, yeah, uh, is he the best player in that draft? No, he's not. But he's a, a beast in his own right. He's going to get max dollars, and and he's the kind of big where I, I don't. What's his weakness? Like what he, he's not. He might not be dominant at anything, but he, you can't play him off the floor. He does everything pretty well, and he's 22. You're 23. I think there's another gear he can get to. Um, and in hindsight, I think we're going to be looking back at one of these drafts as one of the best um, of all time because this guy is clearly a star. He's going to be one of the best big men in the league. You have the perimeter guys, not just Trey Young, and a lot of good role players. So uh, it works for, It worked out for Phoenix. And, and Chris Paul, credit to Chris Paul, you know, like Chelsea Gray, I think Chris Paul brought out another level in him. And, uh, and he, again, he seems like a great teammate and just a great kid to be around uh, as well, plays with a joy and an energy that I think has really helped keep Phoenix um, to this point where they're at, one game away from the NBA Finals. Follow him on Twitter at by Sam Gordon does a great job for the Review Journal, covers UNLV, covers the Aces, the NBA, for everything for us over there. Thanks, Sam. We appreciate the moment. All right. Thanks, Sam. I appreciate it. Take, Take care, care yourself, brother. By Sam Gordon on Twitter does a terrific job. And, yeah, I'm glad we asked him out of Aiton because Aiton's playing terrific right now. I know there's no Kawhi. We'll get into that later about what that means. Uh, we're going to talk to Kent Summers, the columnist in Arizona. We're going to, you know, talk about what no Kawhi has meant, but Phoenix is on the precipice of the NBA Finals, and DeAndre Ayton has a ton to do with that. Alright, when we come back, we'll switch gears. You and healthy football? For the Rebels, Griffin, the single receiver up top, double-wise to the bottom. Gillum has time now. He's Ooh. under pressure, escapes it, and he throws it. Hawaii, now they're going to say it is a live ball. They're going to say it's a live ball, and now 
Kyle Williams tries to throw it downfield, and now they're going to say an incomplete pass. I thought it was forward. I, my first initial reaction was that ball was forward thrown by Gillum. That's, that was my initial thought. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Ryan Wallace, Ryan Hockey Guy at 8.30. Kent Summers, the columnist of the Arizona Republic on the Phoenix Suns at 9.30. Thanks again to Sam Gordon. We will want to say that was not him, but um, uh, legendary Hawaii sportscaster uh, Robert Kwakala uh, died at 56 over the weekend. Uh, just had some amazing calls over the years. I remember watching either UNLV games, San Diego State games when they were in Hawaii, and he was absolutely terrific. Uh, so uh, thoughts out to him and his family, uh, 56 years old. Way too young, and just he was Hawaii football. I mean, he was Hawaii football for decades, and um, uh, sad to hear about that. Okay, so little football uh, news here. Mike Romano of the Sun wrote kind of a month out from training camp uh, story, and it appears, uh, not a surprise, that sophomores uh, Doug Brumfield and Justin Rogers are listed as the co-number one freshman Cameron Field. Friel out at UNLV is the third stringer. This is interesting. I'll read a uh, Marcus Arroyo quote uh, to Mike and the son. Cameron, the freshman, just got here. Justin and Doug have already been here, and they've done a nice job leading as we transition to our first offseason. Cameron continues to be a high-level freshman as far as the size, aptitude, and growth potential. But Justin and Doug, they've been around a little, little bit longer. Not much longer, but those two guys will be the guys that will fight for it throughout camp. So at least this year, we know probably one of two who will be the quarterback uh, against Eastern Washington. Are you, again, it's one of those situations they where it's still he, bring back Max. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he's having a California role somewhere. But uh, at, least, at least you can and, I have another Unagi role. And can you put it right here? At least you and I won't be shocked when Tyler <laughs> tells us who the who the starting quarterback no. is. Oh, I was going to say, I, I thought you were going to say, at least you and I won't be shocked at anything Max Gillum does the rest of his life. I said, no, I don't think I will be no, shocked. No, no, no. Anything Max he's, Gillum does. Max Gillum is living my dream. Oh, I think he's living all of our dreams. Uh, so it's another year of Arroyo not announcing uh, his starting quarterback or playing multiple QBs. I'm not, like, kind of over the skis on this because if you don't have a guy, you don't have a guy. I mean, I you know, if, like if someone would emerged in spring and just, you know, rolled over everyone, he was obviously the guy. I think they would have said this is our quarterback. But if you don't have someone and you have – I think the you know the optimal thing is you have someone he's the guy you know going into you know going into fall camp and training camp and he's the guy and he's going to get most reps. But if no one's kind of separated themselves, then I think you have to bring it into training camp and compete. It's not the always the best thing in the world. I know coaches love the whole thing about competition, but this is where they're at right now, and it'll be one of these two. It'll be Brumfield or Rogers. I mean, isn't I mean the general consensus is Brumfield has the arm and Rogers has the legs. So it's sort of a we and we haven't really seen what this offense is supposed to look like. No, no spring ball last year. COVID just put him. Well, not just them. I mean, we say it because it's locally it put everyone in the country in a bad position. So UNLV was hardly, uh, you know, alone on that island. But, you know, they had he finally got a spring. He finally got offseason conditioning. Um, I do think it's point. Now, the other thing that's become a cliche around uh, around. um college football and really college sports, which is is good for UNLV for sure. I guess everyone's out in campus. You have the signees, you have the returnees, you have the vets, you have the walk-ons, you have new coaches out there, lifting sessions, student uh, player-led sessions, the NCAA allowed two weeks. So they are, you know, 
in town, working, trying to get better. I think that's really important. He has them all on a meal plan. This is kind of how you build a program. You know, you've got to get everyone there. You've got to get the nutrition going. You've got to get the weights going. And it appears Arroyo has that right now. Um, Long way from that to contending in the Mountain West, obviously. We know what their total is at the books. Uh, But, again, I did pick up my uh, Phil Steele magazine yesterday. I, I read it cover to cover. He did suggest that the UNLV football team won't have a problem going over on the number. What do you think about that? <laughs> so uh, I think the number's one and a half. Yes, uh, so we need to bring a shovel in order <laughs> well, to I'm find just, that bar. I'm just saying, Phil Steele believes they will go over on the number. The number's one and a half, so uh, boy, you beat Eastern Washington. All you need is another win to go over on that number. We'll see what happens.